All right, this week's pod, I'm talking to George Baker, one of the founding members at FC United, fresh back from Milan, where FC United finished third in the Phoenix Trophy this year, which is a trophy for supporter-owned clubs um, organised around Europe. George, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Cheers. Yeah, I'm really glad you reached out. I, I've been thinking about FC United and doing a sort of check-in for a while and, and somehow keep forgetting each summer, but it's um, been an interesting ride, hasn't it? I mean... 18 years of FC United now, the seventh tier, Northern Premier League, just outside the playoffs this year. How would you characterise where the club's at and and the season that's just finished? Uh, Well, the season that's just happened, a little bit disappointing that we finished just outside the playoffs. Uh, It was right up until the second to last game of the season that uh, we were in with a chance of making it. And a three-point deduction that we'd been awarded, awarded's the wrong word, imposed upon us, that that had a bit of a detrimental effect as well because it would have gone down to the last day otherwise. Uh, but there is, uh, it's a satisfying season. We have to remember, even though we get some of the biggest crowds in the league, which we, there was only South Shields when they ended up winning the league who get more than us right. uh, by quite some distance as well, attendance-wise. Most of our money is still going into paying off our own ground. We managed to build our own ground back in uh, 2016. And uh, so just the the sheer cost of that and the paying back the loans that we had to take out yeah. to this day, it still kind of swallows up most of our income, which is disappointing. But it's one of those things. We were the first supporter-owned club to build our own stadium in the world, as far as we know. It's happened a few times since. Uh, but to actually build one from scratch as a supporter-owned club, we were the first ever to do yeah. that. And uh, the issues that comes with that, you know, it wasn't easy doing that in Manchester. So... But it was phenomenal achievement at the end of the day to even just build uh, even a shell of a ground, let alone one that's mm-hmm. uh, one that runs perfectly, which it doesn't. But uh, it's one of the trials <laughs> and tribulations of being a non-league club. You know, you're not going to have a perfect stadium. But yeah, the, no, the season. No, no, that's right. Yeah, the season as a whole was relatively successful. Uh, we're hoping to uh, have a bit of a stronger push for promotion back to the Conference North. We spent four years in the Conference North before the sixth tier, before getting relegated uh, a few years back in 2019. So we're very keen mm-hmm. to get back up there. And in the meantime, really enjoying playing in the Phoenix Trophy. It's, as you mentioned, it was the second year we played in the Phoenix Trophy. We won it last year at the finals weekend in Rimini. Uh, it's not just for supporter-owned clubs in Europe, in the non-leagues of Europe. It's for clubs with you know, just a decent supporter ethos. Right. Ones that look after, you know, I've got good youth programs, look after uh, refugees in cities like mm-hmm. Prague and, Warsaw, where there's obviously a lot of stigma in being a refugee in places like that. We can talk being in England at the moment with the rhetoric coming out from our government, but still, yeah. it's still very refreshing to see that in clubs across Europe. And yeah, if you if it's the if you've got a, a semi-pro club with a decent ethos or you're fan-owned, the Phoenix Trophy is a good tournament to play in, and it's a great way to meet other clubs and make friends. Yeah, it looked really exciting. A seventh-tier side playing in the San Siro. I. I... I mean, it looks like the San Siro is not going to last much longer, which is a shame for such a classic old yeah, we'll stadium. This. The San Siro hasn't got long left, but it's been people have been saying this for quite some time. And yeah, as the seasons go on, it just seems to keep rolling. So we could potentially be the last English club to play in right. San Siro, which is incredible, an incredible thing. But it's likely that with both Milan and Inter being in, in Europe pretty much every year, it's yeah, likely that they'll yeah. be another English team in the next couple of years. But uh, yeah, just to think that that could happen 18 years ago when we formed SC United and we were pretty much one of the only, when the Glazers bought the club, 
there was obviously a lot of um, opposition to mm -hmm. the purchase of um, Manchester United by that family. But once the purchase was complete, the vast majority of United fans said, right, well, that's that. Let's give them a chance. Let's see how it goes. And we were pretty much the only ones going, no, these people are cancer. We can, mm -hmm. we can see that from the off and we won't have anything to do with it. We won't fund their, um, we won't fund their projects. Giving them their money is what they want and they are going to exploit us. So we're going to take matters into our own hands and form a club in the image of what Manchester United should be. Yeah. It's quite, it's refreshing in many ways to see that everyone's on the same page now when it comes to the Glazers. But given the amount of, you know, we got a lot of support from our fellow United fans at the time uh, when we formed FC United, but the amount of vitriol we got as well from people who are mm -hmm. now suddenly staunchly anti-Glazer mm. and want them out at all costs. It's very interesting to see. It, it is, isn't it? I mean, yes, for sure. Like United fans will be on the same page in terms of the Glazers are a cancer, but people still go to the stadium and buy the shirts and and so on. So uh, no one took quite as far as the thousand or so people who attended that first meeting and set up the club. And and mm. uh, it, 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 was the, the impact of Fergie and his sort of, he was quite, quite vitriolic against FC United at the time. I mean, I think, yeah, he, called, I think he called the club that mob or something like yeah, that, it, you know, it, does that still sort of linger? Yeah, that mob United FC, uh, he referred to us as, so he couldn't even get our name right. But yeah, I mean, when um, we won our, in our first season, we won the Northwest Counties League Division 2, which yeah. is the very bottom of the semi-pro pyramid in English football, level 10 it was. And uh, we won it quite easily in our first season. And it, it was a hell of a ride that first season, visiting all these little towns and, you know, just having this massive away following. It took about 4,000 to Blackpool, because there was a team called Blackpool Mechanics in our league. And they had to move it to Blackpool SC's Bloomfield Road to to accommodate everyone. So that days like that will live forever in the memory. But yeah, when we won that league in the first season, Alex Ferguson was asked by an MEN journalist, I think it was Manchester Evening News, mm. if he'd like to congratulate our manager Carl Marginson on FC United's league success in their first ever year. And so by all accounts, he not only refused to answer the question, but ended the press conference there and then. So he's got a bit of a bee in his bonnet about FC. He's referenced us once or twice in his books, saying that he thought it was more about us than them. I mean, yeah. more about ourselves than United, which doesn't really make any sense. Uh, I don't know. I mean, this is a man, as a manager, you can't fault Sir Alex Ferguson, but uh, he has to take a decree of responsibility. With, sure, yeah. With the fact that the Glazers are there. You know, yeah, I say yeah. a degree of responsibility, quite a lot of it. His fallout with Magni McManus. Uh, over Rock and Gibraltar led to the the outright purchase of United by the Glazers. Um, Great, yeah. It's uh, something that's something that sticks in the throat, really. And, yeah. Uh, this is a man who bills himself as a good socialist, a working class man, and then when uh, a group of Manchester United fans actually put that into action in a way, put, uh, in by forming a democratic football club, for some reason he's dead against it. It doesn't really fit yeah. with the man of the people persona he likes to perceive as well. That, that's right. Yeah, it's always, there's a lot of contradictions with Fergie. Obviously, a, a brilliant manager and, and achieved so much in his career. And yet, yes, his his falling out over some horse spunk uh, precipitated this <laughs> out. May, may have happened it's anyway. Actually, who who yeah. knows? But yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. He's never and will never criticise the Glazers. And it's just a, it's a hard contradiction. I couldn't get over that for quite some time. So in 2005, mm. when United's results were not going so well and in that, the autumn and Fergie had been 
like supporting the Glazers and their takeover. I wrote a piece in The Guardian calling him for him to be sacked. And I'm regularly reminded of this and how wrong I was. <laughs> but it was more than just the, the results on the pitch that were pissing me off at the time. Yeah, that's it. I mean, he was uh, if you don't like it, go and watch Chelsea. It was the famous retort he had that's right, yeah. to a fan just shortly after the Glazer takeover during the pre-season of the 2005-06 season. And it's just so dis- how disrespectful that is to lifelong supporters. I mean, I know he gave the club so much, Alex Ferguson, but it doesn't give him the right to just be so dismissive of supporters' concerns. And then when he sat next to Avram Glazer at the cup final as well, despite the widespread opposition to that family at United at the moment. It's, it's as if he's sticking two fingers up in some ways to people who dare put a modicum of responsibility onto him for the predicament mm-hmm. that we're in. Yeah. So where where do FC United go now? I mean, crowds of just under 2,000. It's, it's not the peak of where FC United have been. As you said, much of the money that is generated by fans, uh, for the club flow out to pay for the stadium does that put a hard cap on where fc united can grow to and and as someone who's like intimately involved do you do you have a sense of where you'd like the club to head well if the club can go as far as it can so long as it sticks to its supporter ownership principles and you know as long as it sticks to it's exciting to see how far we can go so we have a because this broadest park in moston in north manchester where we play our own ground, it's a capacity of 4,400. And yeah, around our third season back in 2007, 2008 era, the 2008-2009 um, era, the attendances when we were still playing in Berry kind of plateaued around 2,000. Then they rose a bit when we got promoted, because we got promoted to the Conference North, the sixth tier. Yeah. Where the same season we moved in to our brand new ground. And so the attendances went up, not just because it was a new ground in a new area of Manchester, a lot of people were curious, but because we went up into a new league. And like any other football club, the more success you have, the more people hear about you, the more people want to come along. So we saw a bit of an uptake in our attendances once we got both got promoted and moved into our new ground. And then the, uh, the attendances kind of plateaued again around 2000. And that's where it's more, more or less where we are now. And obviously losing a lot of away fans as well after we got relegated back from the Conference North to the yeah. Northern Premier League. That did have an impact on attendances because some of the clubs we faced over the years, uh, Stockport County, we were in yeah. the Conference North for four years. York City, we were in it for, with us for two years. We played Darlington, we played Chester, we played all sorts of clubs that were very well-established football league yeah. clubs. Halifax Town's another one. Macclesfield we have next season and they've been getting about 3,500 per game in level eight of the uh, the pyramid so that'll be right. interesting there's all these well-established clubs that we're playing and obviously that sort of thing has an impact on attendance but the future i mean it's an interesting one because we've proved that you know you can actually operate a supporter on club and make a success of it mm-hmm. and to provide um, an alternative a cheaper alternative to manchester united one way you're listened to as a fan, one way you can actively engage in the running of the club because, you know, we elect our own board members. Yeah. We put forward resolutions and members' votes to the fan base, and if they pass, uh, they have to be adhered to. So the fans are in control of the club, and that will remain unless the fans vote to change it, which is unlikely based on what the foundations were, which we were created. But we're always here for uh, disillusioned Manchester United fans, people who are fed up with, not just because it wasn't just about the Glazers. If you've been yourself, I believe you said you've been to a few games. So it's for every, it's for any United fan. 
and to a lesser extent, any football fan who's fed up with the um, the modern game and the lack of atmosphere at Premier League stadiums, the the overzealous stewarding, the overzealous policing, uh, everything yeah. that comes with just the, the way the modern game develops. And FC and I is kind of an antidote to that and will always yeah. exist. Yeah. And I think that. Um, as much as everyone at FC United wants the Glazers to leave Manchester United, because we all still are Manchester United fans, vast majority of us, we all still want United to do well. It's a very, it's a painful catch twenty two sometimes because you know, of course, yeah, the, the, of course, the, as as every United fan is discovering now, the better United do on the pitch, the more successful, the more money it makes for the Glazers, and the, the less likely they are to leave. So it's always been a bit of an annoying paradox that. But United, Manchester United is in your blood once it's there, and you can't get rid of it. So yeah. we also I fully, I fully agree. I fully agree. I mean, I've I've spent you know as a as, as a United fan who wanted the Glazers out for eighteen years and was sick of arguing with people in social media or on the blog or wherever else in the pub about the Glazers. There have been times as a fan I've thought it'd just be better if United started losing because it's more likely to get rid of yeah. them. And and you just have to deal with that paradox. Um, they and are a cancer, but it's physically impossible. A common question we get is, "Oh, what would you what would you do if FC United drew Manchester United in the cup?" Yeah. And it's it's an it's a question I don't know the answer to because I've never cheered against Manchester United. Yeah. And so it's a situation I don't want to think about until it happens. And it, stranger things have happened in football, um, and it could well, happen one day. Wasn't there that, but... the 2010 or so the cup run? FC United got to the yeah. second round, so you were. A draw away from of maybe maybe uh, maybe making that fixture happen. Yeah, it's so. true. We got to the first round proper for the first time in 2010. We don't. We were only five and a half years old at the time as a club, and we got to the first round proper and knocked out Rochdale in like, away from home at their Spotland ground, and they were a League One club at the time. So, um, and then we got Brighton away, who were top of League One at the time. So it was literally the hardest hardest tie on paper we could have possibly got. And we got a replay against them. We went to what well, was the with Dean they were playing out there. It was just before yeah. they moved to the Amex, and it was a terrible stadium. It was any Brighton fan will tell you if they don't miss it very much. But um, they were on their they were on the rise. Uh, the one that they've still not come down from at yeah. the time to get a replay against them. It was incredible. You know, we were in we were in the lead for about eighty minutes as well. It was a late equaliser, and then our goalkeeper Sam Ashton saved a penalty in the last minute and. They hammered us in the replay, but it didn't matter. There was about six and a half thousand people turned up at Gig Lane. I think it's still the highest attendance for a competitive match that we've ever right. had, six and a half to seven thousand. And it really put us on the map. Black Cup run, we were on TV and everything, and we we got quite a lot of publicity out of that. And it just made made people, it reminded people that we still existed. You know, a lot of people heard about FC United when they formed and just thought, oh, they'll probably fizzle out or whatever. And we showed the world that no we're still there and we mean business and we're going to be around for a long time and we've got to the fa cup first round twice yeah again since then which is no easy feat for a non-league club no matter what level of the pyramid you're at so it's particularly if you're not in the national league you've got to play at least it's usually at least three games that you've got to win until you get to the first round mm -hmm. uh, if you're level six or below so it's always a great occasion when we manage to do that and yeah i mean that's the thing about the future of fc united really is uh, we, we exist for any United fan who's had enough with the modern game and what Manchester United may or has already turned into and what it might become if, the, say, the Qataris or Sir Jim Ratcliffe take over. Sure. Because there's all sorts of issues there, as I'm, I'm sure you've discussed on this podcast. And yeah, yeah. The United fan is having the debate all over the world, isn't it? And it's well, the same for us. 
I, I think, I, th- yeah. I mean, you're totally right. Like the antidote to what modern football has become, it couldn't be starker, the contrast between what FC United stands for and, and uh, the sport washing project over at 115 FC over in East <laughs> Manchester um, and what they have achieved. And that like some, this is a podcast, so you can't see it. So there's some heavy air quotes on the achieved part. So and I we discuss it on this pod a lot, the the potential for the Qatari takeover. I had had someone from Client Earth talk about Ineos and what they do. It's not a nice company. You know, no, we have to, to yeah. Right. And so that's yeah, United will become something different again. But this debate stretches all the way way before FC United was formed, back to back to the days of the IPO, I think, the original IPO in 91. And so the, the goal there was said to be to raise money to rebuild Old Trafford and Stratford End. And I guess it raised a million pounds or something like that. But it changed the club from being a football club owned by a local businessman, which it had been for more than 100, well, 100 years at that point, basically, mm-hmm. to being a football club that was designed to serve its shareholders' needs. And that is money yeah uh, and that's and what's never changed since yeah I and mean, a few years later after that in 99 when b sky b tried to take over the club yeah to take over manchester united it's interesting to see how there was very few people that i mean i was only young at the time i was only about 13 14 but i, I lived for manchester united and i would watch and read anything about them in the news or or wherever and i remember just not seeing a lot of certainly nowhere near as much support for the idea of Murdoch and B Sky B taking over than there is for, say, uh, the Qataris taking over. There seems to be a lot more debate about and a lot more desire to uh, preserve the integrity of Manchester United because it was already being compromised, as you say, being a PLC floating on the stock market and what have you. So for it to be in, uh, privately owned by such a huge media manga, it wasn't an attractive policy Correct, for yeah. many United fans. And like the fact that that was managed to be quashed and a lot of the fans involved in that in the opposition the eventual successful opposition to that takeover ended up take uh, ended up on the steering committee of fc united six years right, later yes quite a few yeah. names from that era I deserve a lot of credit for uh, filming fc united six years on because it was the same it was the same thing as soon as the glazers came along around 2004 when they were gradually buying up the shares the same methods of opposition came into force. And yeah. um, so it's just a shame that that culture seems to have died off a little bit uh, in the sense that, I mean, but the problem with that is it's totally understandable because even though the, the Edwards era and the PLC era of Manchester United, there was a lot of critics of that. The club was successful and it seemed to be a successful business model, even if it was pushing out regular match going fans. So there was nowhere near as much opposition so it was very much a, if it's not broke, don't fix it kind of attitude towards the B Sky B. Whereas now, the worst legacy of the Glazers is how badly they've run Manchester United to the point Correct, that yes. anyone else will um, will do for a lot of the fan base. And it doesn't matter about the integrity of United anymore, whether it can be it's, it's a sports washing or a green washing tool. It doesn't matter yeah. as long as the Glazers are gone. And that's the worst legacy they've left on Manchester and, United. I, I mean, I, I fully agree. And I, I find myself like deeply disappointed by some of the groups that are, are in opposition to the Glazers. And and like, I agree with them 100%. I want, I want these leeches out of the club, right? No one, no one is going to argue against that anymore. Although, believe me, for many years, people did. But, uh, but the idea that it's somehow better if you get an abusive monarchy 
owning the club instead. You have to compartmentalize to such a full stop. You know, I mean, it's just yeah, yeah. it's just abhorrent. And obviously, given the fifteen years we've spent criticizing Manchester City for the exact same things, like the idea that we should just become exactly like them, it's just it's absolutely not an option for me. Yeah. Um, and for many others, and for many others, mainly there's a lot of us here locally in Manchester uh, who agree with that. But yeah, it's 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 a very it's a difficult paradox because Sir Jim Ratcliffe isn't exactly the most attractive candidate either, and it makes you wonder. It makes you wonder what the future holds for Manchester United in that sense because FC United exists, I suppose, as um, like a, a through the looking glass version of Manchester United. It could become something that. As I say before, it's an image of what we want Manchester United to be, a, support, a supporter-owned club. But I think Manchester United has grown so much that it's, it's probably beyond that. Even though there have been some big clubs in the English pyramid over the years that have yeah. gone fan-owned. Uh, there I have been. Manchester I mean, Swansea for a while was fan-owned yeah. until, uh, and they're probably yeah, regretting the fact that they sold out and and took outside investment there. So, yeah. And unfortunately, yes, I, th- I think there's no future for Manchester United as a fan-owned club unless some benevolent billionaire decides to buy it and, and get fans involved seems unlikely i mean i know that must were in negotiations with the glazers for quite some time or or with the, the club i should say about a, a share ownership scheme it didn't happen because of this uh, quote unquote strategic review and sales process <laughs> but even then it would have been a tiny tiny percentage of non-voting uh shares so it was a kind of yeah. the the proposal from the club at least was not a serious one I think and and so yes that's that's probably beyond united now and and we had this rogues gallery of of just awful potential buyers of which mm. Jim Ratcliffe and his petrochemicals company largest polluter in England or Scotland I should say with his uh, with mm. his uh, chemicals plant there and the greenwashing project is probably the best of a bad bunch because the, the yeah, other options that's just yeah. that's it I mean there's no such thing as a a benevolent billionaire you don't become that rich by being uh, the most most ethical person, shall we say? So, and they're the only people who can buy Manchester United now are those kind of people or large tech companies who themselves have used questionable methods to obtain their wealth and their power and their influence over the Western world. So, it doesn't seem like there's a, a happy ending really when it comes to the future ownership of Manchester United, and that's why it's so important we maintain what we've got at FC United because we always exist as that alternative to get involved in a club that looks, smells and feels like Manchester United, but is slightly out of reach of the, uh, of the big leagues. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the obvious question. I know this one's asked a lot. What happens when United are taken over? And I, I think you've answered it in part by saying, hey, look, we're an antidote to modern football. It's not just about the ownership. It's probably very unlikely that whoever takes over Manchester United will hold out an olive branch and say, hey, welcome to the family. Um, <laughs> so I could accept that as well, based on, because again, yeah. not, it's not just about the Glazers, as you say. So yeah, I think we might attract a few new fans who are put off by the idea of either one of Qatar or Ineos owning Manchester United to the point where they've always heard, they've, maybe they've heard about FC United and want to come along, see what it's like. So there's that potential, if you like, but you know, to... To hope that bad things happen to Manchester United in order for good things to happen at FC United. That's not it's not a business model that we want the club to take, really. Yeah. We do exist for that disillusionment, but at the end of the day, we want United to be a stable 
community orientated entity, but it's probably beyond that now with the popularity of the game and the money involved. All right. So so back to FC for a, for a bit. Neil Reynolds has been at the club five years. The manager, is it, I assume he's staying around for next season. And there's always a lot of change at this level, isn't there? So 10 or 12 players uh, go in and and the same come out, go out. So that's the thing we were warned about when we took over, when we formed the club in 2005. Don't get too attached to the players because they move on so quickly and frequently at non league because squad rotations, because you can, you're essentially, you very rarely pay for players at this level. So you're getting new players throughout the season. There's no real transfer windows. At this level, there is if you buy players, if you're rich enough to do that at this level. And some of them are doing that, but we're we're not really in the business of doing that. I think we'd pay for one. I think there's been money involved in like two transfers out of the many hundreds right. uh, in our history. So, yeah, the, there's a bit of a revolving door culture. But with, when it comes to Neil Reynolds, he's really taken the club to heart. Reno is his affectionately known among yeah. the fans. He, uh, he really does enjoy it at FC United. He's got to know a lot of the fans personally. He's always showing up to club events and things like that. And he, he worked full-time for the club for a while last season. You know, he quit his job as a, as a headmaster mm-hmm. of a, a in Blackpool to work full-time for FC United running our academy. That hasn't worked out as we, want, as we would have wanted, but uh, he still remains as first-team manager on a part-time basis. And it just shows how, how much he loves the club, how, much he, how committed he is to it, because we had to... For the first 12 years of our existence, we had the same manager, Carl Margeson, and he achieved yeah. a lot. He achieved a lot. He was one of four promotions in a space of 10, 11 years. Of course, to that that long cup run against Rochdale and Brighton and numerous other things. But the, uh, the time came for him to move on. And uh, it was very difficult to see the, the, uh, the scenario where we'd have such affection for a manager who was there for us for the, with that for that long amount of time. I think after Ferguson left United, he was the second longest serving manager in the English pyramid behind Arsene Wenger. Right. So he really did have a huge influence over the club. And to see the way Neil Reynolds has come in and himself has become a very popular figure amongst the fan base, he still gets criticism from certain quarters. And that's fair enough. You're a manager of a club, that's what happens. But um, it's really, it's good. It's heartwarming to see how how he's taken the club to heart and really gets involved in it, yeah. And so the season's just finished and we're like four weeks away from pre-season, I think, something like that. It never stops, even at non-league level. What does next season look like? You you mentioned there'll be some pretty big opposition in, in the league next season. Yeah, so well, we've got, and there's all sorts of changes going on with, Teams being moved through regional leagues and things like that. So we've got about five or six new teams, promotion, relegation, and moved sideways from like the Southern League. Macclesfield are the big one, obviously, since they reformed as a Phoenix club. They went into level yeah. nine, I believe. And so they've had two very quick promotions. Got quite a bit of money behind them. Obviously, Robbie Savage is their director of football and all that. So uh, we've played yeah. friendlies against them the last two years. And it seems like they've got a good setup back at their old Moss Rose ground. So they are the big favourites. And it feels like that's going to be happening a lot. And obviously, Berry are coming back into the fold now. They've merged. Berry FC and Berry AFC yes, have merged. Yeah. So finally, uh, finally made peace, those, the fan groups there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a crazy story that. It was interesting because Berry were our hosts for uh, for so long at right, Gig Lane. Yeah. For nine years, there, we played our home games at Gig Lane. And then fast forward a few years later, Barry, Barry's fan groups are calling up FC United asking, how how do you form a football club, lads? Because we need to do that now. 
And so, yeah, yeah. Barry FC, Barry AFC, sorry, went on the supporter ownership model and provided football in the Berry area for for Berry fans for a couple of years. And now they've merged with what was left of the old Berry FC. And the important thing was, yeah, they had Gig Lane, didn't they? Yeah. So now they've merged Berry AFC will become Berry FC and we'll play at Gig Lane. So you can expect to see them competing with us in a year or two, I would imagine. And there's a lot of that happening. And it's so it's so depressing to see so many clubs in the Northwest suffer so suffer from such dire financial straits when you've got these monoliths in Manchester at the exact same time. It's very um it's a very interesting metaphor for capitalism in general, really. Seems like the richest have it have it all and the poorest have nothing. So there's all these clubs collapsing and reforming in the north and the northwest in particular and we come in against them as they're rising back up and that in itself is taking up promotion spots so right. uh, and there's only two promotion spots from the northern premier league which we play in the winners and the winners of the playoffs yeah so it's not easy to get out of but um, there's a few less teams there's 22 teams rather than 24 like in the in the national league. is national league 24 i, I think, think so does. yeah 46 mm-hmm. games um, yeah yeah so yeah regardless only two promotion spots in a in a league with 20 plus teams, it's not easy to yeah. get out of. So. But, I mean, it, the thing you mentioned there about the, the kind of dichotomy between clubs failing and, and the, the amount of money available, state money at City and money money at United, it's, um, mm. it, is a, it is a very stark contrast. And, and, and I wonder whether the, the proposed football regulator will have an impact there because there are, there are certain rules around tightening up around who can own a club and why and what they can do with the club. And, and of course, many of the, the kind of ethos of FC United, we won't change the club's kit, name or logo unless the fans say so. I mean, it's basic stuff, isn't it? But some of yeah. that's in the uh, proposed white paper. That's it, yeah. And that it's, it's needed that even if it sounds very basic, but it could happen. Anyone can take over and just destroy your tradition based on their personal whim. You saw it, Cardiff. Yep. Use the yep. kit analogy, you're just going from blue to red. Uh, yeah. Salford as well, Salford City, you know, um, yeah. everybody thinks of this. Um, club, you know, they are doing good things in the community of Salford, but uh, at the end of the day, it's a club that has had a hell of a lot of money thrown at it. They've flown up the leagues and not necessarily gained the fan base to back it up. And they changed the badge and the kit colors, the class of 92, as soon as they came in. Yeah. So um, they're being hailed as these like football purists, but they're businessmen before they're before they're football purists of class of '92. I would say they changed it from yeah. the, the club is the Amis, and they played in amber as a result, and they just did away with that straight away. Made them play in red, changed their badge, and now it's a completely unrecognizable club. Um, yeah. It probably has pros and cons, but one thing that really winds me up is when people confuse FC United for Salford City, which happens alarmingly a regularly. Some, I, I'm not surprised. Yeah, the kits look very similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah kit, I mean, yeah, kits location, yes, uh, but still, we're the antith- we're met in many ways the antithesis of Salford yeah. City when it comes to ethos, but at the same time, they're a club nearby who we have worked with once or twice, right? Because we can learn things from each other. They, they, I mean, it's a, it's a very interesting story, Salford, of course. I mean, part owned by Class of 92, but I, I think the biggest shareholder is Peter Lim, who has a... Peter Lim, yeah, and there's uh, another one who's uh, got a Glazer-like it, reputation at Valencia. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that club is, is suffering a lot, and it's it's a big traditional historic club, um, mm. and it, things are not going well for them. And, and he's a, a, a very rich fella. Who who is putting his money to his own personal his own personal endeavors? You know, not necessarily. Yeah. For it the, does grind my gears the, a bit. The, the football club. 
it does grind my gears a bit when I see Gary Neville pontificating yeah. about the evils of the Glazers at last. It took him 16, 17 15 years. years. Yeah. And then at the same time, while he's doing that, he's working with a man very closely with a man like Peter Lim, not just with Salford, but how else did he get that Valencia job, that ill-fated job? It was all due to that kind of nepotism. And for him to continue working with a man like Peter Lim whilst saying how bad it is that men like the Glazers are involved with football, it does stick in the throat slightly. Yeah, well... He, he, there's a lot of contradictions with Neville because um, yeah. let, let's just let's rip. I mean, I don't want to just bash him because he, he's obviously a United legend on the pitch, but the, the contradictions cool. off it are, are, are quite heavy. But so he was he said about ownership, he's finally said the Glazers are bad. That took him a very, very long time. And I have to wonder why exactly, because he needed cooperation from the club on certain stuff. And and then he said there should be unlimited owner financing and why has he said that because that's what Salford are doing basically mm. um FFP or, or sustainable profit and sustainability rules don't really work until you get into league one and and then and then he's against state money but he's been quite unclear about why that is the case mm. and so there's a lot of contradictions I think with him and, and football club ownership as there are with many people in football and it's one of the, true, the yeah, frustrations of yeah you know, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with Neville. He does say a lot of things I agree with, but then when you see the fingers in so many pies he's got here in Manchester and in football yeah. itself, it does does make you... Know, he, is, he is quite hypocritical a lot of the time. And um, he was very critical of FC United, I believe, at the very, at the mm-hmm. very beginning. You know, we had a lot of ears in a lot of places and he was very unhappy about it all, even though one of his best friends from the Manchester United Academy, Mark Rawlinson, was one of our first players and one of our first captains, right. I believe. So, and he's barely mentioned us, you know, it was Jamie Carragher who name-checked us when talking about FC United and like the rebellion, like the rebellion against the Glazers, like when it became to the fore a couple of years ago, Neville's never said a word about us. So you know, I think he'd like, he'd prefer, he'd prefer, he seems to prefer to pretend we don't exist whilst also approaching us for help when Salford City wanted to expand their more laying ground. He did visit us apparently, but uh, kept it quite quiet on his social media channels that he'd gone to FC United to have a look at how we'd built our ground. Well, I'm sure he's very grateful. (laughs) (laughs) We've had a lot of ex-players, ex-United legends speak at me. We've had like gala dinner fundraisers and things at FC United. And we've had a lot of uh, United legends such as Gordon McQueen, Wilf McGuinness, Andy Cole. They've all uh, spoken at these things and come to visit the club. Clayton Blackmore was another one. And it's great when those players... Uh, come and visit and you get to meet them. Brian McClare's another one. Um, mm-hmm. But um, when it'd be nicer to see some ex-players from the 90s era, from when I was growing up as a United fan, embracing FC United more because it is a, it's a club for the fans and the fans are what make football and it was the fans that paid their wages for so long. And um, I think any, even if right. it's not for, you know, FC United is not for every Manchester United fan and I get that. But I think every Manchester United fan should be proud of what we've achieved in many ways because when we formed in 2005, the reputation of Manchester United fans, like we have this, we're all know-nothing glory hunters from Kent and Surrey and that they know nothing about football and we just like the success. FC United proved that that's complete nonsense. We were a ramshackle group of United fans involved in supporter associations who formed their own football club and within five or six years got to the second round of the FA Cup. As I said, say, we just played in the San Siro. We've played all over the world, all over Europe, in the USA, friendly games in the USA, Sweden, South Korea. We even went to 
And it just proved that Manchester United fans actually do know a lot about football and actually do care, and particularly ones local to Manchester. And there's plenty of us in Manchester, and that's another myth it dispelled. And it really, yeah. it, it really gets the backup of a lot of football fans that we mm. uh, made such a success. So every United fan, even if FC United fan, even if FC United is not for you, you should be proud of what FC United have achieved because it's that's United right. I think so. Yeah, and making a success of it. Yeah. Okay, just just a couple of topics I wanted to touch on before before we close out. I mean, what what's mm-hmm. the uh, political situation at FC United these days? Because a, a few years back there was. Quite a few ructions in the in the family, weren't there, about the direction well, the club yeah. was going. Well, yeah, it was, um, it was yeah. How was that solved? And uh, and and do you feel like everyone's on the same page now? For the most part, yes. I mean, it was a difficult time that around. As soon as we moved into our new ground, we'd had a board who had been pretty pretty much the majority of the board had been on the, the board of directors since the start of the club. Now you have to stand. Obviously, we we are, we elect our own board members. Yeah. But um, you have to stand every two years. And what was happening is that the familiar faces and the familiar names were getting re-elected and re-elected and re-elected. And a lot of our fans, as much as we were proud of the democratic process of the club, we were getting caught up caught up in the ride, basically, letting, letting the administrative side of the club go with the people who wanted to get involved in that sort of thing. And so the same people kind of get got voted in time and again. And that resulted... In a little bit of complacency from the from that board, in the sense that they had a set way of doing things, and because they were there and they've been there for ten years or whatever it was running the club, they felt they knew best as to how the club should be run, and it's fair enough given that they were they did their hours and everything as board members. But when criticism started to flow in around the time we moved into our new ground and we found there wasn't really much of a business plan as to how to make the ground sustainable, how to uh, mm-hmm. put on, putting on events and things like that. And there was actually a, a, a document signed with the council, Manchester City Council, when they loaned us a sizable six-figure sum to help us build the ground. But it was obviously a loan with interest that we continued to pay back. There was all sorts of conditions in there. That weren't that weren't put to the members, and it kept it kept coming out. It seemed like every other week that there was something more and more wrong with what's going on now that we'd moved into Broadhurst Park. And there didn't seem to be a business plan. So when that criticism was put to the board, instead of taking it on board and saying, "You know, yes, we could have communicated with you as members better and things like that," they just put up a wall of silence and mm. essentially accused because some people obviously tensions got heated. And uh, some rather unsavory language ended up coming out, and they used those exam those examples of to, to put up basically a wall of silence and said that anyone criticizing them is abusive and um, out of order. And it got to the point where changes were needed. So the board ended up having to. There was all sorts of protests at FC United, and that's the thing: we were a protest club. So to yeah. to set up as a protest club anyway. So to assume that the fans would just lay back and accept everything the board was saying when everything looked a bit fishy wasn't going to happen so there was all sorts of protests at the ground and I took part in them myself you know I was uh, very disillusioned with the, the direction the board went and it eventually led to uh, the board stepping down and an EGM being called where an entirely new board was elected only two or three an 11 person board with only two or three from the previous board getting elected. And those two or three were ones that had come in recently because of, because they felt like they needed to be changed. So a brand new, that was again, in many ways, 
that's one of the great things about FC United is that we got to vote with many of the previous board members who felt that they wanted to carry on with the vision that they had. They had the chance to stand. And yeah. with the new information that was put forward, they had the chance to stand for re-election and get back on the board. And the, the members decided they wanted to go with a new, a new group of FC United fans who wanted to take it in a different direction, do things a bit differently. I was on the board myself for two and a half years. And I tell you what, it's a hell of a lot of work. It's all voluntary. Yeah. You really do see how much work it goes into running a football club, even one as low down as we are, because it's a hell of a lot of work. And it's very few people get paid to do any yeah. of this work. We have a full, we have a handful of full-time staff at FC United. And most of it is done by volunteers. And those volunteers deserve uh, a very good, a, a huge amount of credit. But, uh, you know, obviously... There's been hiccups a long way because it's like any democracy, you know, you're going to get factions um, yeah. breaking up going, we, we think this should be done this way. Well, we think we sh that should be done this way. And the goal, the end goal is the same thing. You all want the club to do well. You've just got different ideas for it. And it's, it's, it, yeah, it's helping many because that's democracy. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we're still electing a new board. There's still people coming forward to stand for the board. There's still resolutions being put forward. The, the And obviously we're going into an online voting system now, which is a bit overdue, I would say. And that will get more and more members engaged in the democratic process. So when it comes to the governance of the club, the future looks all right. All right. And, and finally, before we close out, a, a positive story, sort of. Callum Gribbin, who many people will know from, from his, his United Academy days, got a bad knee injury and the fans fundraised to pay for his operation. So... Um, how did that go? Yeah. yeah, it was it was devastating for Callum because, as you say, like he, there's so many articles about him out there about what a prospect he was and what a prospect he still is. We have to remember, you know, it's not his career's not over, but he's had so many setbacks. Yeah, and this knee injury has has really really came out of nowhere as well. He was really finding his feet at FC United. It's one of the best goals from last season. Was the last minute free kick he scored at so we were playing now, but it was a it was a league game on a Tuesday night. And he's got a fantastic free kick in the last minute. And he's just been, he's just, he's certainly one of the uh, shining stars of this season, despite missing quite a lot of it. And yeah, that's another great thing about SC United. He's not the first player that we've done crowdfunders for when they've had a hardship in their life. Our captain, Adam Dodd, suffered from a very bad heart attack last, se last year on the cusp of us traveling to Rimini to win the Phoenix Trophy, in fact. Yeah. And he was only saved by his girlfriend, who thankfully knew uh, CPR. And he was clinically dead for a, a few, good few minutes. And uh, he was out, obviously out of thought, had to have a, it was very similar to what Christian Eriksen went through. Yeah. And they, we even arranged that, we even arranged Christian Eriksen to sign an FC United shirt and get it trained for him. And uh, that was, that was just one of the things we did. You know, obviously there was a crowdfunder for him, which raised thousands of pounds whilst he was recovering. And after he had his pacemaker fitted. Because, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. These players, they, they play at semi-professional level. They have lifestyles outside of football and they have to make a yeah. living. And when something like that happens to them, uh, a lot of them work in trades or they're self-employed and they need that money to survive. If they've got a medical injury, such as a heart defect or a, or a, a torn cruciate ligament, it, it, it really does affect their day-to-day -day life. So it's great that we, we're a club that can do that for the players. And there's lots of other clubs at non-league that do that for that sort of, because it's, it's a lot easier now to to do those crowdfunders and there's so much passion at this level of football yeah um, not just here at fc united but across uh, across the league for all these clubs so that is a, a heartwarming story that we managed to raise that money yeah. 
All right. Thank you very much, George. I mean, I totally agree with everything you're saying. I do encourage United fans to to check out FC United. If you want some background on the club, if you need a refresher, Red Rebels, an excellent book on the, the formation of the club as well. Mm. A few years old now, that one. But Yeah, Red Rebels, J.P. O'Neill's book. Yeah, it was released yeah, in exactly. It covers basically the history of FC United from the very beginning, from, from the 99 era that we touched on. The yeah. B campaign and the uh, the formation of FC United and its subsequent changing changing running with the uh, the different fans taking over the yeah. board. So yeah, that's, uh, that's certainly a book I would recommend. Obviously, we've got FC United are all on. We're online. We've got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We say we sell send match ticket books as well. So we sell season tickets, and it's a pay what you can afford yeah. scheme as well. So there's a minimum price, but even if the minimum price is too low, you can always contact the office and work out a deal. You can pay in installments. And yeah, there's a 10 match ticket book as well, which is like a half season ticket. So there's loads of options and it's only, it's going to be either 12 or 13 pounds next season. That's another thing we've voted on, whether or not the price should increase next season, because it's up to us, whether or not yeah. we charge ourselves more money. So uh, it's been 12 pounds entry for the last few years and it could go up to 13, but if the fans vote against it, it'll stay 12. So yeah, if anyone right. wants to come along, you're more than welcome. Great. Thanks, George. Great to talk to you. Good luck for the new season when it starts in a month's time or something. <laughs> it never ends. It'll start a long way. Yeah. Thanks very much, Ed. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Right. Bye now. Bye.